you hear the big news, people? They canceled the great sea race at Marlins Park. All that plus more fantasy baseball talk coming up right now on Fantasy Baseball Today. Welcome, everybody. It's Tuesday morning. It's February 13th. Tomorrow on Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about players we love this year. Today, we're going to talk about a lot of guys. We got Hey Real Quick. We got Buy or Sell. We got some forgotten players late in the draft and plenty of your emails at Fantasy Baseball at cbsi.com plus we will get to our nl only draft good morning heath chris scott what's up hello adam i am heartbroken by the loss of the sea race the sea creatures race um i hope everyone can respect my uh my privacy in this tough time i will miss the uh acid dream that was the uh the sea creature race i am conflicted over the sea race thing and over the home run spectacular thing. Oh. I'm just really confused by their plan because it seems like their financial plan is to operate like a minor league team, <laughs> but then they're taking away all the minor league-ish type things they were doing before as a franchise. Come on, come on, come on. Derek Jeter's from the Yankees. you got to keep it serious. Take it seriously, the guys. The Yankees Take will not allow their seriously. new minor league affiliates Paint to behave Paint those this walls way. navy blue. <laughs> Get that sculpture out of there. Get the sculpture out. I'm, I'm down with that. Julio the Octopus. I didn't know that they even had a sea race. I had no it idea. It is... It's amazing. They they don't, Adam. They don't, yeah. was... I didn't know they had it. And I've been to games. I never noticed it. it. Just, well, I can understand how you missed it, but with everything else going on, you were probably staring at the hospital ceiling. <laughs> One of my favorite things about going to games there was the ridiculous sea race. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Derek Jeter just wants to make the Marlins boring ring again. The, uh, fine. the last time I went to a Marlins game, I only went because there was a free boys to men concert after. And it was terrific. Uh, yeah, that wasn't, was that at Marlins Park? Yep. Yeah, that's oh. for my birthday, Chris. I was there for my birthday. We saw boys to Happy men. Happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. Happy Valentine's Day to you guys. All right, more on that. You uh, went from being a boy tomorrow. to a man. I was, yeah, I did. I well, did. I don't want to hear about that. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> All right, weird. so let, let's get into the show. I'm going to ask you later, Rugnet Odor or Chris Taylor, David Price or Robbie Ray, Ronald Acuna or Nomar Mazzara. I can't believe, I cannot believe where Heath Cummings has Nomar Mazzara ranked, so I look forward to that. Uh, John Gray or Trevor Bauer, Yoenna Cespedes or Andrew McCutcheon. You people out there, put your thinking caps on, and we'll get to those debates in a bit. But here's an email of the day. It's from Matt at FantasyBaseball at CBSI.com. In mock drafts, I keep finding myself drafting five or six starting pitchers by the time we hit round 12. I believe this is Roto that he was – yes, six-by-six six Roto, OPS, and quality starts are the six categories. So I keep finding myself drafting five or six starting pitchers by the time we hit round 12 – it's usually DeGrom, Darvish, Archer, Keiko, Cole, Barrios, some mix of that. At the time, it seems hard to pass these arms up, but at the back end, I'm finding it hard to fill some of the offensive spots in rounds 13 through 20. Am I investing too much in starting pitcher early in the draft with five or six in the first 11 rounds or so? Probably. But no, in a s- no, no. Well, in a six-category league, where, or in a 12-category league where Four of the categories are, you know, categories that starting pitchers will help you in most. It's not the worst idea. It's just that you're you're investing really heavily early on, a lot of draft capital in risky pitchers. Like, you know, look at the names that he's talking about. DeGrom, Darvish, Archer, Keiko, Cole, and Barrios. 200 innings, all of them, guaranteed. I mean, 
Just two kidding. of those guys, the two guys that you invested the most in have had elbow surgery in the last three years. Uh, the next guy always seems like he should be good, but he hasn't been in terms of run prevention. Archer. Keichel. We've made a lot of excuses, but he's gotten hurt each of the last two years. Garrett Cole hasn't been good the last two years, and Jose Barrios has 12 good starts in the majors. All right, but philosophically, I'm totally cool with it. But I, what I really find, I, I want to hear from Heaton, Scott, obviously, but what I really find interesting about this is Matt saying that he's having a hard time filling hitter spots in round 12 or later, and I never really feel that way. I always feel like first base is great, third base should be able to find, second base is, yeah. like, that. that is not an issue I think that you're misreading the hitters, Matt. That's what I would say. I think that uh, we'll we'll help you find those good values, but you should be able to find good hitters there. Well, it, it depends if you're how satisfied you are with the Scooter Jeanette, Matt Olson, you know, the less than name brand hitters who um, should still or at least could still provide big production. I, I think the difference it makes in terms of how uh, how thin the hitter pool seems to you in rounds 13 through 20 might have to do with how big your lineup is. Like, is it, is this a standard roto lineup with the five outfielders, the corner infielder, and the middle infielder? Cause if it's not, then I think this is a fine approach. But I, if it is, then yeah, you might be a little thin. I think it's very hard to find good and balanced hitters late. You can find plenty of dongs late. You can find plenty of RBI late. You if you're going to do average. this, I That's would, good. I would make sure early on I'm getting some exposure to someone like Jose Altuve, Trey Turner, Starling Marte. I want some batting average steals guys early on. Yeah, you can't like it can't be Edwin Encarnacion and Reese Hoskins and Brian Dozier. Like those can't be the hitters you're drafting. You need you definitely Byron should take Buxton a hitter in the first be on your list. Sure, he can. Yeah. I mean the the thing is the early round hitters. What sets them apart really is that. Justin Smoke might hit for as much power or more than Anthony Rizzo. But Anthony Rizzo is probably going to hit 275. Justin Smoke's probably going to hit 240. That's really where the the difference between the early round guys and the late round guys comes in is batting average is so hard to find late in drafts. Uh, yeah, I mean, that and just assurance. I mean, I, and, and a, like you used the Rizzo example. Well, what did, what did Smoke hit last year? And I understand you may think that what he did last year—it was smoke and mirrors. Exactly, you may think that, and maybe it was, but um, it was you know, two seventy. But he's, a he's obviously capable of hitting two seventy because he just did it. Yeah, but he's a career two thirty hitter, and he had like two forty after the All Star. It's more right? assurance, like Rizzo. You know, he's going to give you that. But then there are guys like, um, well, he used Starling Marte as an example. Um, uh, Anthony Rendon, you know, he's going to hit for average. Um, like you just you definitely need to be secure in batting average with your early round picks because that's that's the category that if you're getting it late you're getting nothing else. Okay. Well, that's uh that's a good take on that. Thank you very much for the email, Matt. Here's a second email. Email of the day number 2. It's from John. John is in a league in two leagues. One has two DL spots, the other has four DL spots. With the 10-day DL and more guys going on it, we all generally agree generally agree that two is not enough and four seems to be okay. Uh, my thought is that there should be unlimited DL spots. Major league teams aren't limited to DL spots, so why should I be? Uh, my prediction, Heath will agree with me because he likes to adapt to changes in baseball, a la quality starts over wins. Chris will go back and forth and will ultimately say he doesn't care. Scott will disagree with me because he's slow to come around on changes to the way we play fantasy baseball. He's a traditionalist. 
Adam will have less of an opinion, but ultimately agree with Scott because team scam. <laughs> <laughs> I think he, we've already done this segment. We can move on. No, I, I was the one who proposed this on the podcast last year. That's and you so guys funny. Told me I was wrong. I don't think I, I, I will have to check the tape. I may have said you're wrong. I am perfectly fine with unlimited deals. I just assume anything you say to me is disagreement. I think it just depends on what kind of league you want. If you want a league with a lot of roster turnover and a lot of, uh, Activity on the free agency wire, I think you have to limit DL spots. Unlimited DL spots, you're just going to reach a point where there's just nobody really worthwhile on waivers. That's true. Like, I think, and I, I, I think four is, is probably should become the new standard with, uh, with the 10 day DL, but I wouldn't have a problem. Like, I play in a couple leagues where, uh, where there's unlimited DL spots and I, I don't know. It doesn't bother me what the waiver wire looks like. They're deep leagues to begin with, so that maybe that's why it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I, I haven't noticed a problem with it. Okay, here we go. Official announcement: Podcast League is changing for DL spots. Yeah. All right. Woo! First time. We got other announcements coming, but we'll save those for the for the people podcast league. Oh, okay. Later. <laughs> okay. There will be two podcast leagues this year. Please don't email me about it or tweet me about it. Uh, I will make an announcement when you just be patient, everybody. We'll make an announcement after we do the position previews. We'll tell you how to, or uh, maybe during. We'll tell you how to Can get. Can we the ban lead. anyone that asks about it before you make your announcement? No, because no. we're not sure who yes, may have let's heard this announcement. Enthusiasm, Heath. <laughs> well, Good he plan. just told them, "Do not ask about it until I give an announcement." <laughs> Wait with bated breath. We with, don't know uh, who's heard mouth the episode. Closed. Yeah. All right. So thank you, John, for the email. You have already, uh, you know, made some change in the podcast league for DL spots. We've got a lot of other podcasts. If you people like podcasts, you like listening to interesting stuff, you will love CBS Sports and what we've got for you. Go to cbssports.com slash podcast, cbssports.com slash podcast, singular, and you can subscribe right there on on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on Google Play. And we'll just show you, you know, what we've got. We've got fantasy baseball today, fantasy football today. We have the Sportsline DFS podcast, which is doing very well. Heath Cummings and Mike McClure giving you advice on setting a daily a DFS lineup. Right now, it's obviously a lot of NBA, but we also do PGA. We'll do MLB. We'll do NFL. Uh, so the Sportsline DFS podcast. We've got a wrestling slash boxing slash MMA podcast called In This Corner. We've got Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Raja Bell. That one's great. Uh, we've got Pick 6 NFL. We've got an awesome college basketball podcast. Go to cbssports.com slash podcast. All right, ready for Hey Real Quick? Yes. Okay. Now, in order to keep this Hey Real Quick, I'm going to put a 30-second pitch clock on. We'll expand it a little bit. 30 seconds for everybody to speak. You can make your points. Hey, you real quick. Chapman can do that. Yeah, exactly. Hey, real quick. Rugnet Odor or Chris Taylor? Rugi, I've always been a big Rugnet Odor guy. Um, everybody knows that about me. <laughs> I mean, he's streaky, and we may have set expectations too high a I couple think, of years yeah, ago. Yeah, I think for expectations him. are too high for Chris Taylor. Ex- expectations may be too high for Chris Taylor. More importantly, there's no way he's hitting 204, and he hit 204 with a 224 BABIP last year, Rug- and still hit 30 home runs and stole 15 bases. Rug- That's great. Rugnet Odor had his worst case scenario last season. He had 170 combined runs in RBI, 30 homers, and 15 steals. That's pretty awesome. I moved him behind Chris Taylor in points leagues because even even good Rugnet Odor never walks. So, um, you know, I think I think Chris Taylor's mostly legit. 
maybe the batting average is inflated, but the rest is legit. Okay, so that's that's a great discussion. Rudnett Odor over Taylor and Roto. Everybody agrees there? Yeah. 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 But Scott has Taylor ahead of Odor in points leagues, and I will point out, Rudnett Odor in 2016, great year for him. He hit 271 with 33 homers, 14 steals, only the number 12 second baseman in points leagues, number 7 in Roto, based on the current crop of second baseman. So, yeah, the, the walk-to-strikeout ratio holds Odor back in points. Uh, now let's pause from Hey real quick and expand on Chris Taylor. Scott, you think he's mostly legit. He definitely looks like a one year wonder on paper. Um, why do you think Chris Taylor is legit? He was the number 11 second baseman in points, number nine in Roto, and he only played 140 games. So why do you think Chris Taylor is legit? He made some swing changes that allowed him to tap into his power better. So, I, I mean, I think the power, there's no reason to doubt the speed, first of all. I mean, he stole, what, 17 bases last year? And yeah. he could do that again if he plays every day. I, I think the power's legit. So, you know, 361 Babbitt, it's going to be hard for him to do that again. Maybe his batting average drops from, uh, you know, the 288 range to the 260 range. But if he's nearly going 20-20, Dual eligible, still going to be pretty valuable. Oh, see, this, this is where I struggle because, like, again, this guy was was awful <laughs> for the first three seasons. His career OPS was five ninety eight. So this is where I struggle with with the and one his year wonder track record is not that good either. He had a three sixty one BABIP, so like Scott said, the batting average could come down. But uh, all right, okay. So next up, hey, real quick, David Price or Robbie Ray? Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray. I'm old enough to remember when I was the Robbie Ray guy. And here's the thing. Robbie Ray was a lot, a lot, a lot in 2017, just like he was in 2016. And going into last year, he was one of my favorite regression candidates because his ERA was way over his FIP. And there were some people that said, you know, maybe he's just a pitcher that's going to pitch way over his FIP. Well, last year he was way under his FIP, almost a full run. He still walks way too many batters. The one thing you're concerned with with David Price is maybe he's hurt. Maybe he doesn't get you a lot of innings. Robbie Ray's never thrown 180 innings. I'll take David Price. You, you say the only thing you have to be concerned with with David Price. Like it's it's possible he'll just make, you know, not not do anything for you for five months of the year. Like he, he like they I didn't trust really him to start right down now? the stretch. I, well, I don't, yeah, I don't know that he ever got better. They weren't willing to let him start down the stretch last year when they obviously needed pitching and it was just vague elbow soreness. It wasn't like something he had operated on. Uh, that to me, it, it concerns me that there could be an operation looming for him still. So I think it's possible there are people out there who are too scared of David Price and you're going to be able to get him in round 10 or later. And that's great. But I mean, Robbie Ray, I feel like. Yes, there's some regression coming with the Babbitt for Robbie Ray, but worst case scenario, he's a, a less durable Chris Archer. I mean, which is I still don't. Pretty good. I don't like Robbie Ray at his current price. He's the 13th pitcher, starting pitcher off the board on average. That seems not to be taking into account the fact that he's just an inherently risky pitcher. But I'd still take him over David Price. So how, I, you just really just your David Price is done. What you're saying? I think there's a decent chance of that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, this is hey, real quick. So we'll move on. Last thing about David Price. He had a 3.38 ERA last year, but as a starter, he had a 3.82 ERA. 
It was 399 the year before that as a starter. So remember, he, he had eight and two-thirds scoreless innings as a reliever at the end of the regular season that made his overall numbers look better. And he's awesome as a reliever, too. Uh, yeah, I could go either way with Price. It's just if you're comparing him to Robbie Ray, uh, that's kind of scary. If you're comparing him to, uh, you know, Mike Clevenger or somebody, well, I'd rather take the upside of Price. All right. Hey, real quick, Ronald Acuna or Nomar Mazzara? Acuna or Mazzara? Acuna. I had just moved him up yesterday, and I wish I could move him up more. I think, uh, I think if he if he sets the world on fire this spring, it's going to be like Chris Bryant in 2014, was it? All over again, where suddenly he's a sixth, fifth, sixth round pick in fantasy. Like he's he's the best he's the best preseason prospect since Chris Bryant. And I I'd like I might argue going further back. Um, just what he did last year as a, as a 19 year old. Acuna last year was yeah. 19. Yeah. Most what he did in double A and then triple A as a 19 year old is pretty spectacular. It compares very favorably to what Mike Trout did at the same age and the same levels. So I, no more bizarre. I think there's a bit of post hype breakout potential for him. Um, except that I think like half of the fantasy community believes in the hype and half of it doesn't. And so I'm not sure you can get him at a discount. Yeah, I'm still a uh, no more Mazzara believer. If, listen, if you were asking me who do I want in Dynasty, I would take Acuna 10 out of 10. I'd probably even take him if it was a keeper where you could keep him for three years. But if you're asking me who I want for this season, I'll take Mazzara. All right, who do you, hey, real quick, who do you want? John Gray or Trevor Bauer? John Gray or Trevor Bauer? I want Bauer, because he doesn't pitch in Colorado. That's probably the right answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like it's gonna be a death knell for Gray, so that's, you know, good for him. But, you know, even as good as, as quote unquote good as he was last year, sub 4 ERA, Swinging strike rate was low, um, and we haven't seen him hold it together for a full season yet. Like Trevor Bauer from that, we've never that, seen Trevor Bauer hold it together. Well, that time he just had his when, career when Mickey Calloway took data to Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer at the end of May last season said, "You guys got to start throwing your curveball more." Both of them took off from that point, and obviously. <laughs> Corey Kluber took off to much higher heights, but Bauer was the best Bauer we've seen in the majors and looks like a good strikeout pitcher now. I'll take John Gray. Okay. Bauer looked pretty damn good last year. You know, I don't know if he can do that again, but it looked like something changed. He looked pretty legit. He was a former, you know, big time prospect. So it's an interesting call on Trevor Bauer. But like when you compare Bauer to Chris Taylor, I'm, I feel like I'm more inclined to buy Bauer because he has pedigree and, and has been, I mean, like, again, Chris Taylor was never even a little bit good before last year. The, no, I, I agree that Bauer, but. I know it's a separate like, discussion. If we're sticking with the full season statistics are generally more predictive, which I think that Chris would like it if we did. <laughs> um, like, what are we buying into with Bauer? He had a 419 ERA, he had a 137. Well, whip. John Gray's never had a full season that good. He had a sub four ERA last year. Yeah, if if you're if you just if you just have this blanket policy that I'm going to pay attention to the season long whip over 
any adjustments that might have been made in season, then Bauer's not good and you shouldn't draft him. Like I, I'm not even not saying – Right. I'm not even saying I'm not going to pay attention to anything. I'll give him a little bit of upside for that. But it's four years in a row of a 4.18 to 4.55 ERA. That's mm-hmm. really consistent. Four years in a row of a whip between 1.31 and 1.38. Mm-hmm. It's really – I'm not, I'm not buying into Trevor Bauer. It's just that, like, John Gray can be an ace. I think he has the talent to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. And I still think his ceiling is probably closer to a four ERA. Okay. Uh, hey, real quick, last one. Yoannis Cespedes or Andrew McCutcheon? McCutcheon. I'm, and maybe this is unfair. I'm just having a hard time seeing much value in Johannes Cespedes as often as he's hurt and in this environment where it, he just doesn't stand out as much because uh. power hitting, you know, relatively low EBP power hitting. Oh, man. I See, I don't... If he stays I, healthy, he's a four-category contributor. Yeah, he's a monster. I know a lot of guys hit home runs, I get it, but like when when Yoannis Cespedes is at his best. I mean, look at his slugging percentage last 3 seasons is between 530 and 542. I mean, that's yeah, since, really And good. he's a good betting ever since yes. getting to the Mets. He's, he's hitting awesome. 285 with a 900 OPS. The problem is he's played 270 games in two and a half seasons. Like there's no difference but, between him and Jose Abreu. He's better than Jose Abreu. Yeah. Well, I like I definitely like Jose Abreu more because Abreu stays healthy. I, I think I think in terms of the what with the phenotype, like, yes, Cespedes is a very similar to Abreu, but I just I don't trust him to be available more than oh, two thirds of the season. Of course, you you rank Abreu ahead, of course, because of that. And honestly, I don't. To me, this isn't even close. If if they play the same amount of games, I'm taking Cespedes over McCutcheon. Um, and and you know I'm not sure. high on, but I think I think we all would if they were all going to play. Even though I'm the low guy, I'm on McCutcheon always. Like I think you'd have to say that he's just a better player on a per game basis. That right. one's tough because McCutcheon will steal. You know, he got back to 11 stolen bases ah, last season. It you could like take 11. Was the fluke, but that's that's valuable. Like, yeah, it's fine. It's not enough for me to to Cespedes give up. Cespedes isn't going to steal any bases. I don't know. Like, he did not steal a base last year in 81 games. He stole three the year before, seven the year before that. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about his McCutcheon seat- stole 11. His I, I guess ceiling is seven. It might be a six steal different. Cause, cause I don't rank Cespit as anywhere close to McCutcheon. I do. I, um, like, I, I rank him close to Ryan Braun. I feel like they're in a similar spot. They're on teams with too many outfielders to fit in. The olding, the, the aging guys who are often hurt, I, I just don't know that they're going to be treated like everyday players anymore. I, I will just say the Mets have too many outfielders until they don't. And Cespedes is part of that, but Conforto doesn't have a strong history of health. Jay Bruce, I think, once again will be a trade candidate come July when the Mets are out of it. Chris hates Jay Bruce. Chris hates Jay Bruce. He does hate Um, Jay Bruce. And the one thing we should bring up in this conversation is Andrew McCutcheon is moving into maybe the only ballpark that is worse than the one he played in last year. Let's wrap it up because this is hey real quick. Go ahead. Final thought. Is it works for righties? I believe so. I know it is for lefties. I'm not. Maybe it is. Final thought is Cespedes was sitting like once a week last year, even when he was healthy. That's that's going to drive me crazy. His hamstrings are too big. It's a good thought. Mm-hmm. It's a good thought, Scott. Thank you for wrapping that up. All right. News and notes. Other than canceling the great sea race, I have an important theory that I'd like to run by you. Um, They're going to change the baseballs this year. 
They were just wound too tight. They were juiced. Two reasons they're going to change the baseball. We've talked about this a lot, Scott and I believe. I don't know how Chris, how, I don't know how Team Creed feels about this, but Rob Manfred, he wants more action. He wants more balls in play. And this will help if they, you know, de-juice the baseball a little bit. But also, remember all those damn blisters last year? They have to change the baseball. Too many blisters. Aaron Sanchez, blisters all the time. Johnny Cueto, blisters all the time. It was crazy. So, that's why they're going to change the baseball, and that really could change fantasy baseball. Adam, wait, are you announcing they're going to change the baseball? No, or are you just theory, theory. Adam, yes. Okay. Have you been drafting as if this is the case? No, but that's what I'm saying. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe we should. Well, how would it's, you we draft? Can't, right, but that's the thing is that like they may. In which case, like if you believe they're going to change the baseball, Elvis Andrews is probably someone you should move way down your draft board. I really do believe they're going to change the baseball. I think but the blisters are a big I part of it. Down I, I don't know that that's true. I mean, his career home high in home runs why, is eight. He but hit why would you single year. him out? Just because be- he's the kind of marginal power hitter who would benefit the most from that kind of increase. But he's Joey always Gallo, been a good Joey fantasy Gallo. option, even when he like right. But it, like just, that was in a good fantasy option. If other con- if other players are losing home runs too. Yeah, but that was in a much different league context, and he also wow. like hit 300 we're for the re- first time. We're resetting the, the league context, but he was a 260 hitter for a long time before the last two seasons. Well, yeah, was, I I think if Andrews, like if you think the the ball is going to change, marginal power hitters should be devalued. Yeah, and guys like Jonas Where do you draw that line? Guys I mean, that jo- like Joey Gallo, Mookie Betts has never had a 30 homer season, right? Is he? Yeah, he but would he was probably hitting, but he was hitting home that. runs even before they changed the ball. The the ball was, as far as we know, the ball seemed to have changed around the All-Star break of 2015. Mookie Betts' two best power seasons have come in the last two years. I'm just saying, if you believe that there's a chance that this happens, you should probably pay up for Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Joey Gallo, guys who have legitimate 40 homer power regardless of the ball. I don't disagree with that. I, and I really but I'm not going to because I just... <laughs> I can't make that kind of change based on no evidence. I mean, I feel like you, like I could understand if you're going for the max power guys. And first of all, it's, it's a theory. So, you know, the great theory though, it doesn't, it it's doesn't one seem well like you're going to get the time we're spending on it. it, it Sarcasm? Well, it's dis- no, it's a discussion worth having. I think, it, I think it is a discussion worth like, having. Like there is a chance that the balls change. I would that- expect it does. I hope so. So, but you'd be, what you'd be doing is you'd be trying to thread the needle, trying to hit those exact guys. While also condemning your team to to a very lopsided roster, uh, if it doesn't, if the balls don't change, so I like realistically, you're going to have to draft some of those 20 homer guys who you wouldn't have seen hitting 20 homers three years ago, and trying to pick and choose who's going to win and lose out of that, I feel like is a losing exercise. I mean, I think Chris is, you know, coming at it in the, with the right process of like well, this guy never hit for power before the juice ball. So yeah, Elvis Andrews, you would value him like you would have three years ago. John Carlos Jant never hit for fifty home runs. Before yeah, but but he still was an elite power hitter. We know he might that. be a forty homer guy now. Right, but, but that's but like, he's losing ten. Andrews is losing ten. Why does it matter? It's a big difference. Play, he's still, you're, players percentage were not hitting for power. Like players took the Daniel Murphy turn before the ball was juiced too, and it's just some of these power games are legit apart from the ball. Well, the other angle of it is like. Look at Cueto and his horrible season. If they change the ball, <laughs> like the, this blister problem was a real pain in the butt last year for a lot of pitchers. 
Right. So that would I think that would help pitchers. Help but them but I just I don't think it's actionable. Like it's a discussion worth having, but ultimately, like if you play in ten leagues, make one of your leagues a complete like I'm going to approach this as if it's 2015 all over again. Okay. I think that's the only answer. The Dodgers could resign Chase Utley, according to John Heyman, and St. Louis is expected to sign Bud Norris, who had a nice little run as a closer last year. What do you think? You think Bud Norris has closer potential for the Cardinals? And Luke Gregerson is who they're saying is their closer to start out. Is Luke Gregerson so good that he can't lose the job to Bud Norris or somebody else? I, I wouldn't say that, but he's had success in the role in the past too. And I'm still not convinced they're not going to bring in somebody even better. You think that uh, Scott Boris is going to release Greg Holland soon? <sighs> I mean, I don't know. He's got to find work for these guys, right? Isn't that part of his job as their agent? Make sure they're they're working and being compensated for their work. I mean, and I know he's he's angling for max compensation right now, but at some point he has to relax that because they have to work, don't they? Stephen Drew disagrees. We should uh <laughs> we should talk about the Marlins closer news. Oh, tell me about it. Right? Then they announced yesterday Brad Ziegler's the the closer at the start of the season. He will be the closer. I I'll take the under. I don't know what you're setting it at. I mean, he's, he's been so, when he, when he's like, he's been the guy who they don't want him closing at the beginning. They eventually relent and let him close and he just totally stabilizes the role. Mediocre closer on the worst team in baseball with an awful defense. You know, I don't, he hasn't been a mediocre closer as a thing. We, we would, we would guess that strikeout rate translates to mediocre closing, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't been the case, and he has, you know, obviously the, the the unusual delivery. I think he gets a ton of ground balls. Like, I think he'll probably be fine until they trade him. There's a, yeah, there's a 0% chance he's a closer all season, so take him with your last pick. Brad Ziegler was a 20th round pick in our NL only draft, so let's talk about our NL only draft. Fellas, what'd you think of the draft? Uh, compare it to AL only. What are the differences? It was the best draft I've done all season. <laughs> wow. Were you I not crazy. in it? I did not participate. Oh, right. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the, um, fir- the first round is really loaded. Like, you've got great play. We did a 10-team head-to-head points draft, NL only, 21 rounds. First round is just beautiful. Uh, and then, I don't know, the, the hitters really thin out pretty quickly in the, in the NL. In my, IMO, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean that's that's kind of always true because there's one less hitter in yeah. every line in our lineup. Right. There's no DH, and so that removes what 15 potential fantasy caliber hitters from the from the player pool. It's a big deal, uh, and and so you know also because of that, the pitchers tend to be a little better in the NL. I've found that both of those cases, both of those. Um, both of those tendencies are less extreme this year than most years because NL has all the good, all the best first baseman, the big four plus Bellinger. Yeah. So it's very deep there. It has most of the good outfielders. It's much deeper in the outfield where it's weak compared to the AL are the, um, traditionally weak infield positions, second base, shortstop and third base. Um, and you made a good point. At I I picked tenth, so I was at the turn there. It was a ten-team league, and because first base is so deep, 
people passed over the first round caliber first baseman and and Anthony Rizzo and Freddie Freeman were clearly the best two hitters left. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to worry about blocking my utility spot early. I'm going to take both those first basemen here at the turn. And then you took Corey Seager right afterwards. Oh, I was so, I like did the wave. I was so happy when I drafted Corey Seager 12th overall. Yeah, and and you pointed out, man, shortstop is terrible. And I should have known this because I'd just done a video talking about the differences between AL and NL. At the shortstop pool in the NL is Trey Turner, Corey Seager, and then it drops off to like Trevor Story, Paul DeYoung, um, yeah, Dansby Swanson, I think, is sixth in my shortstop yeah. rankings I, in the yeah. NL. Corey Seager could easily be a first round pick. In fact, if I were doing it again, I took uh, no, I think I'd still go with, I, I took Bryce Harper ninth. I have no regrets there. Seeker could easily though be a first round pick, you know, just because of the position scarcity, which is, like Chris, you always talk about, you gotta, you know, you're just gonna go best player available and not worry about it. That obviously changes, I know it's stating the obvious, but that obviously it changes, changes in NLO It changes a little bit, but I think you're absolutely insane if you take Corey Seager over Freddie Freeman or Anthony Rizzo or Bryce Harper. Oh, uh, well, or any of them. With I think one that's pick. Insane. With I would one rather pick, have, Okay. Freddie Freeman and Paul DeYoung, then Corey Seager and whichever well, you're first go, baseman you're going I to have taken the ninth. Well, you're going Paul to DeYoung's have to like overpay the for Paul DeYoung. But I, no, I took Paul DeYoung in the ninth round. That's not really an overpay. I'd rather have Corey Seager in round Freddie two than Paul Freeman in round nine. and Paul DeYoung or Josh Bell and Corey Seager. I don't think it's a competition. Those are the first and ninth round picks at first base and shortstop. I think it's I, think I don't it's pretty think it's equitable even, and and. For, to be, this is how I approached it because, yes, I think Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo are clearly more productive hitters than Seager. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would have been crazy to take Seager over one of them, but I, I chose to do what I did and, and whatever. I waited till like the second to last round and took Chris Owings as my shortstop. That's how I think you should approach it. Like, if you get Trey Turner, Corey Seager, you know, if it lines up for you to take the the former in round one, the latter in round two, great. But otherwise, like, I mean, Chris Owings is going to be basically an everyday player for the Diamondbacks. Like, just get somebody getting everyday at bats mm-hmm. and uh, don't don't pay too much. See, yeah, Chris, like, I, I agree that, you know, I, I have to t- – I would take Freeman over Seager and I would take Rizzo over Seager. Scott took them both, Freeman and Rizzo, and he could have done Freeman and Seager or Rizzo and Seager. I probably would have gone that route. Uh, I wouldn't. I just I think the gap between how much you're going to get from those guys and how much you're going to get from Corey Seager, unless you think there's a big breakout for Corey Seager coming, which is certainly possible, but what he's been so far, it's just not even in the same universe as Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo. And yeah. Position to, to scarcity frame matters. this to give this some context, Chris doesn't like Seager. Well, I, I, I just think that. he's like he, he does not like like considering I, the depth of positions. No, that's that's not. It's well, just, that's not even what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not going to give Corey, Corey Seager this massive bump just because he plays shortstop. When you look at the numbers, and they're just okay. He doesn't stand out anywhere. He doesn't steal bases. So you're looking well, at he this stands was a point out. He for right? average. He, he right, but so does power. Freddie Freeman and, Cor- and Anthony Rizzo, and they're yeah. better. They're better in every single place they're, than Corey. They Seager. are better. They are. But yeah, they yeah. play the deepest position in an NL only league, and Corey Seager plays the shallowest. And there's like I understand there's not as much distinction between depth of positions in mixed leagues, but certainly in this context, I mean, right? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you, Chris. In in 
mixed leagues for sure. Look, I think in shallower leagues you can take it into account. I just think the gap between those guys, like Corey Seager and Anthony Rendon, Corey Seager was about 95% as good as Anthony Rendon last year. And Anthony Rendon's not someone we're considering with the first round pick. Well, I almost took him actually. It was, it was between, I was definitely taking Freeman. It was between taking the second first baseman Rizzo, Seager, or Rendon. Cause third base, the, the depth drop not nearly as quick as shortstop, but it drops off pretty quick in the NL pool too. So I was, I was considering Rendon there, yeah. And the number 12 first baseman outscored the number 12 shortstop by about 140 points in NL only last year. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a lot. What about the number like 20 first baseman? Because you're going to start a well, because you're going to start a bunch of first basemen at utility too, and you're going to start a couple of first basemen at third base, like that. Yeah, like right. the, nobody's starting a shortstop at utility. So comparing the number twelve guy to the number twelve guy doesn't really. I think there could be somebody starting a, a shortstop at utility in NL only. Probably not in NL <laughs> only, but I could. I it's not uh, set up to count down to twenty very easily. It took me that long to count down to twelve, <laughs> so I'm not looking at an L. <laughs> well, this is only a ten team league too. Keep that in mind. Right. Um, I mean, there is. I originally agreed with Chris's take that we're probably overreacting to position um, scarcity. I just think he's taking it a little too no, far. I, I think I th- there is no difference. I think you can no, you can take it into account, but the gap between what Anthony Rizzo and Corey Seager are going to do The gap between a replacement level first baseman and shortstop is a hundred points. Yeah, I you know what? If <laughs> if you're comparing the number twelve one to the number twelve one, which is one way to do it. It's not the way I would do it. Okay. Eighteen like I was hundred and twenty five, twelve mm-hmm. to twelve. So we could drop down to 18, maybe. There's a lot of outfielders you're going to start at utility as well. So sure. hold, hold on, I, I I really think that this is this sounds more like a Corey Seager discussion than a position scarcity discussion. Because as Scott was trying to say, like Chris just isn't as high on Corey Seager. Well, how much better do you think Corey Seager is going to be this year than he has been the last two seasons? Yeah, I, I don't I know. Him I, as a second tier shortstop, I I tier him behind Lindor and um, you know, Correa Turner. But I think he has I think he has that kind of upside. He's you know, yeah. basically been close to an MVP caliber player his first two years in the majors pre-25. Uh, I think he's had bad RBI luck both years. And um, I think the best is yet to come for him. So, you know, if he's only as good as he was last year, which, by the way, wasn't even as good as his rookie season. So, you know, let's not let's not assess him just on that. Um, I I don't think... You know, in a mixed league contest, taking him early in round three, I, I don't think that's going to be a, end up bad for you. Okay, so let me just focus us back here. Let's talk more broad, more you know, bigger points on NL only and what your strategies were. I was I was content to wait on second base because Scott has got me believing in Scooter Jeanette a little bit. And let's see when I took uh, Scooter Jeanette. That was in round eight. Um, you know, so I was content to wait on outfield. I, I, you know, I think it's the same in AL only and, and NL only. I'd love to get one really awesome outfielder, and I have Harper. And then after that, I took Adam Eaton, Dexter Fowler. Those guys are are much better in points leagues. Uh, and I took them in rounds seven and thirteen. Fowler was thirteen. So you know, I I feel like uh, outfield. My strategy in these. In these deeper leagues, it's probably going to be like try to get one elite guy, but that's not a position that I'm going to reach on in the middle in the middle round. Like I'm not I'm not going to take Andrew McCutcheon. I don't think in an NL only league because I see too much downside and 
Like I, I just see too many outfielders, too deep of a position for me to invest a fourth round pick in a guy that I don't love. So if I'm taking an outfielder, I better love the value. Uh, I think that's how you got to approach it. The deeper the position, you got to love the value. Don't reach at deep positions. I probably shouldn't be yeah. talking. I'm going to stop talking because I don't ever play out in a lonely rail only leagues. I only do the drafts. So you guys take it away. But I guess I would queue it up as saying, do you agree? Don't reach at deep positions. And what are the deep positions? Uh, in NL only, it's first base and outfield. And yeah, I agree with that. I would also add, and we've had this discussion on the podcast recently about the the name brand versus the generic brand player players who realistically could give you close to the same production, but one costs a lot more than the other, usually because they're safer than the other. Uh, and I, you know, safety counts for a lot in mixed leagues. I think, I think in this format where, I think in this format by buying generic, uh, you know the league-specific format, buying generic gives you a chance to be much stronger overall than it does in a mixed league. Because if you are if if you believe Cesar Hernandez is basically going to be as productive, and, you know, this is a points league context, if he's basically going to be as productive as, um, uh, you know, DJ LeMayhew, then... Don't pay up for DJ LeMayhew. Like, yeah, yeah, you're taking a bigger risk with that, but like, there are going to be people with holes in every lineup. Like, things are going to go wrong, and there's not going to be much of a waiver wire. So, there's going to be disaster happening to everybody's team. Mm-hmm. If you're yeah, I understand. Trying to, I'm trying to complete the thought. No, it's honestly, it's completed. It's it's okay. try to identify players that are similar that you can get later in the draft. Heath, I'll ask you this: uh, you know, when you play out AL only and NL only leagues, how do you find the waiver wire? Is it is it is it really that? How much? How similar is your team from the one you drafted by the end of the year? How similar is your team from draft? Day? It's more similar similar than it is in a mixed league for sure. Uh, waiver yeah. wire is mostly awful. Um, but only if you look at it in the same context as you would a mixed league. There's still going to be guys that come up and have AL or NL only value. What you really have to be careful with in these types of leagues is I, I'm not saving my fab. If there is someone that can make an actual real impact, like a mixed league type impact that's available on the waiver wire, I'm going for it. Okay. All right, that's going to conclude today's thoughts on NL only. It will not be the last time we talk about AL only or NL only. I do want to save some time for emails at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. We got buy or sell, but I'm going to put that off until uh, probably tomorrow, maybe Thursday. So here are some late-round outfielders going in between 246. or ADP boy, would you like to tell us when these outfielders are being drafted? Uh, between 246th and 262nd, Adam. That's why he's ADP boy, everybody. We love him. All right, so I'm just going to give you all four of these outfielders. Yesterday we did eight players, but let me just give you four today. They are Josh Reddick, Nick Williams of the Phillies, Michael Brantley, and Dexter Fowler. Josh Reddick, Nick Williams, Michael Brantley, and Dexter Fowler. This is after round 20 now in a 12-team league, probably not even drafted in a 10-team league. You tell me, who do you like? Reddick, Nick Williams, Michael Brantley, Dexter Fowler, and do you think any of them represent great value this late in the draft? I love Dexter Fowler. Uh, I think he is a great value. 
He's probably not going to play more than 130 games. He hasn't either the last two seasons or four out of the last five. But, you know what? He walks a ton. He plays at the top of a good lineup. He can hit for power. He can steal a few bases as either a fifth outfielder in a roto league or a bench guy in head to head. I think he's a tremendous value. I think people are forgetting about him because he's not a sexy name. My problem with Dexter Fowler is that he does walk a lot. He has a good walk to strikeout ratio. He's better in points leagues, but there's not enough outfield spots to sure. play him. So I, yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a fine. He, he'd be the first guy I'd pick up in a points league if one of my guys got injured. And like on a per yeah. on a per game basis, actually, if he's healthy, I think Dexter Fowler needs to be owned in points leagues. As per, oh yeah, on a per game, if he is healthy, but he never is. He never I mean, but he sh- ideally would start the season healthy. Yeah, he probably he would. Will. If he can avoid it, <laughs> he would. And and you know he'll start healthy and he'll be good enough to be a third outfielder for you. And then he'll get hurt and you'll wish you had a different third outfielder. But so, he costs like, nothing. But here's the thing, Michael Brantley. I feel like. Still has a lead upside. Like yes. he could still be AJ Pollock. Yes. And maybe he won't be recovered in time from ankle surgery. Maybe he'll never be the same again, but you're talking about just a total flyer at the end of a draft. Yep. I'd rather have Brantley. Yep. But Brantley and, and Fowler are very similar. In fact, they average right around, you can check this, Scott, double check it, but I think they average right around the same amount of fantasy points per game. And they did last year. Yeah, but last Brantley, year. Brantley, that was, that wasn't Brantley's best. No, and they're both better in points leagues, and Brantley is a really good doubles source. Um, first of all, are, do we agree that Brantley and Fowler are the, are the two best of this group of Reddick, Williams, Brantley, Fowler, Fowler? If we knew, if we knew Nick Williams was going to play every day, uh, he might be. He'd, he'd be interesting. He's pretty good, but. He'd be interesting. And I, kind of the same with Reddick. Yeah. yeah, I feel pretty confident Reddick's not going to play every day. Yeah. Brantley, so, Fowler, Williams but and Reddick is you how I rank this group. AJ Pollock, he's being drafted like 60th right now. So in terms of just value, Michael Brantley is the generic version of AJ Pollock that I would much rather have at the price. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, it's not the cleanest comparison because like we, we don't exactly know who AJ Pollock is right now. I feel like he has more stolen um, base upside for sure. For sure. I think the batting average upside is similar. I think the power upside is similar. Um, Both playing great lineups. And I think just based on the fact that Pollock hit 260-something last year, I think Brantley's the safer source of batting average, which helps close the gap a little. But he has to be healthy. Okay. Well, those are some late-round outfielders. Josh Reddick, Nick Williams, Michael Brantley, and Dexter Fowler. And that's why (laughs) we'll probably have this discussion a lot, but, you know, that's why I don't love taking a lot of outfielders early. Just you're going to be kicking yourself when you see some of these players that are available late in the draft. That's true, but you also like you're, these guys are not going to stay in your lineup. No, yeah, but this is I mean this is like the 260s, but it's just a deep position. Uh like in the 15th round you're going to be looking at some good players. You don't want to have all three of your outfielders in a three outfielder league by the by the 10th round. I would think Remember, we, we talked about this a lot last year, Heath. I think we were on opposite ends of this. Yeah, I don't it, really care. It depends on who the outfielders are. Yeah, I, I still, like you I don't, still care. You don't want to be, you don't want to be drafting set, um, Michael Conforto as your third outfielder in yeah. round 10. 
No, but I'll be drafting yeah, I'm not sure. Or even like Eddie Rosario. In like, round 10, I don't know if like Jay Bruce is the guy I want. Right, I'd rather right. just if you've already filled rounds, two outfield yeah. spots, you're not filling your outfield in round 10 with Jay Bruce. That's a better example than the ones I was coming up with. So what, you just, you draft earlier or you just keep waiting and waiting and waiting and- I'm fine with no. drafting, like, if the dra- if the, the way the draft goes, I end up with Christian Yelich as my number three outfielder. I'm going to be pretty happy yeah. with that, regardless like, of who might be available later. Like, let's say you take Trout first round, you take George Springer third round, and then round eight comes along, and for some reason Justin Upton's there. Like, I'm not going to pass on Justin Upton just because I already have two outfielders. Mm, I probably would. I'd probably go starting pitcher there. But okay. I don't, you know, obviously I don't know. If you already rest, have three starting pitchers. I'd, then I'd go for I, I'd rather load up on starting. <laughs> I'm serious. I'd rather load up on starting pitchers than outfielder. There's one thing I've learned. Playing fantasy baseball in a three outfielder league, which is often a four outfielder league because your utility is, is outfield a lot of the time. Like that is definitely the easiest position to find on waivers. I don't disagree at all. I think you're absolutely right, but I still think you have to adjust your plans to the context of, uh, what's available to you in a draft. And yep, if there's obvious value at the outfield, you should still take an outfielder. Sure. All right, let's do some emails. Fantasy baseball at CBSI.com. Bill from east of Toronto. Uh, London is east of Toronto, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed listening to your analysis of name brand versus generic. It got me thinking of Aaron Sanchez. Is he the biggest boom bust pitcher this year? Where do you rank Aaron Sanchez among starting pitchers? I'm in a 12 man five by five league and where would you draft him there? Also, I just saw 2017's Mom and Dad, and I recommend you see it. Nicholas Cage's best movie since Lord of War. Yeah, I'm, I will maybe pick up Aaron Sanchez if he has like three good starts to start the season, but there's, I don't see a reason to draft him. I'm fine he's, taking him. He's going to get drafted. Yeah, I'm no, fine he is. I don't him. see. A, I don't. I don't understand why. Why he, he, he has, has Dallas Keuchel upside? What do you mean? He wait, had, wait, wait, wait. He, he had Go ahead. one very fortunate season. But it was so good. What did he have? A, th- a three ERA or something? Didn't he lead the AL in ERA? He had a three ERA. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, like, even if that's lucky, how how bad could he be? If he's a three fifty well, ERA, he's probably. I mean, good. the thing is, I I I don't think a three ERA is a realistic ceiling for Aaron Sanchez. He's st- he threw what forty innings last year. Yeah. He's struck out six point nine batters per nine over his career. With 3.5 walks per nine. That's, I just, and, and he's gonna be pitching for a bad team. The thing about Aaron, and it's a weird, I, I know it's not something we normally do, but factoring in strikeout upside. I don't think we've seen the best he has to offer, offer in terms of strikeout ability, uh, because, you know, he started his career in relief. His arsenal hasn't been totally fleshed out. He has a lot of velocity. He has, and it's not just like, you know, it's not just like straight velocity. He has a lot of good sinking action. Um, I think, you know, Carlos Martinez didn't start out as a strike, big strikeout pitcher either, and I feel like Aaron Sanchez could follow him down that same road. It's just, can he get over the blister issues? And he has, to, yeah, he has to follow up what he did in 2016 because it was only one year of it. Well, what he did in 2016 is not really sustainable, though. He has to be better. If he does what he did in 26, like if he strikes like out seven and a half batters per yeah, nine, if he does that again, I would three. expect him to have a higher ERA. But that doesn't mean he won't be somebody you want to start every week. Yeah. Oh, okay. So give me a round uh, for in a 12-team five by five. No. League. No. No for Heath. 
Uh, I would start looking at him at him 17, 18. Yeah, I think I think I have him. That's where he falls in my rankings, about round 17. You could probably get him a little later than that, but okay. that's where I'd start. That's Aaron Sanchez. This is from Ben. I saw Brockmire was on Hulu, so I checked out your recommendation. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Brockmire is the best. Just FYI, Yahoo just put out their 2018 rankings. Folks who thought Kyle Schwarber was catcher eligible, for example, they were looking at 2017 numbers. Makes sense. Oh. All right, then. Um, all right, next email. Thank you for two interesting notes there, Ben. Yeah, everybody watch Brock Meyer. It's the best. Kevin Tran from Toronto, Canada says, Hey, Rick, Randy, Dave, and Paul. Is that a wrestling thing? It is. Heath, would you have gotten that if he didn't tell us in the PS what it is? Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know that I could get all of them. Rick Flair, Randy Orton, and I don't know the rest. Okay. Dave Bautista? Yeah, and Paul is Triple H. Are you Googling, Chris? You don't know wrestling. I excuse me. <laughs> I watched wrestling very regularly in the early 2000s. Chris uh, isn't as highbrow as you think, Adam. I go to not. a bar that plays nothing but wrestling on the television. Really? Sir. Oh, okay. yes. He's probably a snob about his wrestling, though. Yeah, I mean, oh, it yeah, was he, better in the two. In he, he goes <laughs> and sits at the bar and tells people he doesn't know. Like, did you see how he faked that? Did you? See, he didn't actually hit him there. That wasn't real. Do <laughs> you know anything about me? Because I would never talk to a person I don't know at a bar. Ever. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Yeah, not my thing. All right. Um, planning to start a weekly head-to-head categories league. Categories are still to be determined, but it will likely be six by six. So give me your thoughts on the following. Average or OBP? OBP. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm a traditionalist, but uh, this isn't really a traditional format anyway. So let's go OBP. Wins or quality starts? Quality starts. I kind of like the strategy, especially now that innings, that there's, you know, a big gap in how deep certain tiers of pitchers pitch. I kind of like the, the strategy of pursuing wins, and quality starts is too much of an equalizer. I'm going to go wins. Chris? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I think both stats are not very, very valuable helpful. or good, so who cares? Helpful. Very Thank helpful. you, Chris. I'll, I'll, well, I just, I'll say wins. <laughs> Stolen bases or no stolen bases? Of course, yeah, stolen, stolen bases. bases of course. Yes. And would you give a win for each category, victory, or just major, uh, majority of categories equals one win for the week? Majority of categories game. equals one win. No, what? No. Yeah. What the yeah. hell is the matter with you? That's the this worst is, uh, take of the this show. This is Team Cot right now. Sorry, I'm I'm siding with Chris. Yep. What the heck? I think I think awful. it opens the door to more strategy. The just allowing people to punt at certain things mm-hmm. or to. At least intentionally go weak at certain things. Oh, and gosh. I just, no. I've, I've said it before and I've gotten some pushback, but I just, I think people like fantasy football for a reason. The no, head-to-head aspect of it this. is we don't a have to thing dumb people down love. Fantasy baseball. This is still a head-to-head I don't, aspect, but I don't think it is dumbing down. It's, like, like Scott said, there's strategy in it. You can punt certain positions and still get a win. You can you can do that as well when yes. each category counts as a win. Absolutely. People do that all the time. They try to win three yeah. out of five pitching categories every week by punting. Uh, you can. There's less incentive the, to. Starting pitcher. Uh, 
I don't know. I, I, I think I really hate you guys so much right yeah, now. Yeah, just email. don't play in a league that Chris or Scott set up. Next, next well, I don't email. even like categories to begin with, so maybe don't listen to me. A confused janitor at MIT says, I may clean up a lot of crap, but I'm certainly no will hunting when it comes to mathematics pr- prowess. Could somebody elaborate on why a 2-5 ERA from, an, uh, from a relief pitcher is less valuable than a 3-5 ERA from a starting pitcher, all other things being equal? I sort of get... The whole less innings have less impact thing, but if I have, but if I have no innings minimums, does it really matter to me? Won't a 2-5 ERA in 60 innings serve to get my ERA lower than a 3-5 ERA in 180 innings? Uh, all other things are not equal. To answer your question though, because that's, that's what we like well, to do I, here. You cut me off. Yeah, like, like, okay. Chris has done the go most ahead, research on this. So well, yeah, but I hate Chris right now. The 2-5 ERA in 60 innings, if there is no innings minimum, will likely help your ERA more than the 3-5 ERA over 180 innings. Yep. If, however, you are still three of the five categories are counting stats, you're still trying to get strikeouts, you're still trying to get wins. So, yes, you might be better served not chasing big innings eaters and just getting that ERA and whip as low as possible. But you reach a point of diminishing returns on those things because you are hurting yourself in strikeouts and wins in that scenario. So you do still have to compete in strikeouts and wins. You are going to need innings. And at that point, the value of that 2-5 ERA starts to become diluted. Okay, uh, just one thing here. So so I think you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're basically talking about season-long roto, right? Yes. Because in a head-to-head categories league, it's completely different. Yep. Yeah, you can pl- you can play everybody. You can throw your starting pitcher out there when he's starting, and then you can put those relievers in every single day and still get every category, you know, and not have to sacrifice. Well, and you don't have to. Well, also, you can, especially if you're playing in a league where it's just one win or one loss, you can completely throw sure. wins and Ks out. Yeah, this is a discussion it. entirely about season long rotisserie. Yeah, which and is we the worst don't know if that's what he is. Uh, he's discussing or not. Well. It's not completely. I mean, the the person who starts more starters is going to probably win strikeouts and wins uh-huh. than the person who starts relievers. So it still applies. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't apply as well. Well, that's why I, I recommend in a head-to-head categories league with daily transactions, daily lineups, to just load up on pitchers on your bench and not have that many hitters. So you can have the sure. combination of starting pitchers to win the counting stats and relievers to win the ratio. And I would lo- I would love to get like four or five closers at least. But the thing is, you still run into the issue of, am I going to start this marginal starting pitcher to give me more wins and strikeouts and dilute the impact of my relievers by doing that? And that's that's uh, that I don't I don't have a good answer. And for also, that. that's something should, I struggle with. You should have innings minimums and maximums. I disagree yeah. with that. Oh yeah. no, I agree with that. Now I hate Heath. Okay, moving on <laughs> from Tim. Uh, in a league that uses OPS instead of average, is Joey Gallo an elite top 30 hitter? No average, yes. just OPS. Yes? Yes. Um, so it's, I think he's more valuable in an on-base percentage league and an OPS league than he is an average for sure. And you, yeah, well, if once you're just you, going OPS and not even like, but once, but if you look at OPS, he's a, all yeah. of a sudden he's a four category stud. Joey Gallo, OPS. Like that's not elite. Def- definitely really a home, definitely a home run stud. 
Runs in RBI. The thing you have good. to keep in mind with his counting stats last year is he wasn't playing every day. Yep. He probably will this year. He only had like 520 plate appearances last year. I mean, he walks He walks a lot. OBP is still low because he's such a bad hitter. But I think OPS, top 30 is stretching it, but it's close. Yeah, I think I think he's right around there. All right, this is Joey Gallo we're talking about. Very interesting player. We're going to go a little long today. I want to get to some more emails. Mike in Cranberry, New Jersey. Cran- really? Is that the Cranberry? I'm um, looking to apply the Azer wide receiver strategy, strategy to catcher this year. That did not work out, by the way. Uh, head-to-head categories <laughs> league. That was when I tried to take two wide receivers on the same team, almost guaranteeing that at least one of them would be great. Well, if you did it with the Vikings, I guess it would have worked. Actually, yeah, it would have worked, but I, I didn't because I didn't believe in Adam Thielen. Um, so last year I used Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki, and it worked really well. Are there attractive catcher platoon situations like that or that one? That I could target this year. I feel like we had this discussion at some point in the offseason, and I feel like I mentioned just drafting the Dodgers catchers as your two catchers. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's and there's a good chance it even ends up being better than you bargained for if Rondal gets traded and they both are the full timer somewhere. Uh, but they're you know that's kind of an expensive combo when yeah. even this year the Suzuki Flowers combo is going to be much cheaper. Um, and I and I don't think Flowers Suzuki's a bad one. I don't think Suzuki's quite the power hitter he was last year, but he makes a lot of contact, and I think Flowers is mostly legit. So the that's, only one that's would, still a good one. The only one I'd really consider is probably the Rockies, just because of the, you know, Ionetta and Walters. Like, Walters will give you some average. Ionetta will give you some cheap pop. Mm-hmm. Ionetta might hit, like, 270 I in like course it. field. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't and think Milwaukee's bad. Vote and Pena, I think, together make a, a pretty good catcher. Wait a second. What happened to Jonathan Lucroy? He's he still a free agent. Uh, he free is agent. Scott Boris. No, Scott Boris is not his agent, is he? He probably is. Okay. To be honest, he was so bad last so year. Bad. I, don't, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not a starter somewhere. Uh, a few more emails here. This is from Alex. Uh, hey, Mike, Tom, Gypsy, and Crow. ADP boy, can you? What do you think? I have no idea. Yeah, me either. Uh, 12-team Dynasty League. The best available starting pitchers are Zach Godley and Luis Castillo. If I miss out on both, who would you pick between Denelson Lamette, Jacob Faria, and Jordan Montgomery, and Mike Clevenger? Lamette, Faria, Montgomery, Clevenger. Clevenger's the one I, in theory, rank the highest. There is some question about whether or not he'll have a rotation spot. Even though he was the Indians' third best pitcher last year, he was even better than Bauer. Um... But, you know, they also have uh, Salazar and Tomlin. So I don't know. I don't know. It should be Clevenger, but it may be not. So of the rest of them, I go for Rhea. Agreed. Yep. Okay, last one from Frank. That is uh, Mr. Science Theater 3000. I'm disappointed that I didn't pick up on that. I'm I, sorry. I actually go to a bar where all they play is Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, Frank... You know, it sounds like you're joking, but that sounds like an awesome bar. <laughs> I am joking. <laughs> Frank in upstate New York, Dear Mac, Rabbit, Thorny, and Farva. Super Troopers. Super Troopers. Why so much love for Freddie Freeman this year? I feel like he's never been more than a fifth or sixth round pick before this year, which seems about right. Now Scott White <laughs> has him ranked 15th overall. This is ludicrous. I mean, what, seriously. What, what league were you drafting in last year that he was a fifth or sixth round pick? Yeah, That's ludicrous. He's called you a homer, Scott, for having oh. Freeman 15th oh, okay. overall. He is a homer. <laughs> nah, um, dude, Frank, you gotta, you gotta I, get on I board. will recuse myself from answering this Freeman question so that my homerism won't plague the answer. Um, over the last two seasons, 
he has been an elite hitter. Yeah, he's awesome. That, yeah, I don't think that, at this point I don't think there's really any reason to doubt it. He kind of look at the numbers. He struggled <laughs> after coming back from his injury last year, but unless you think the wrist injury and it's not like he was bad. No, he wasn't bad. But if like, you think struggled, you're putting yeah, it just strong. he wasn't. Like he was arguably he, he the wasn't, best. He wasn't better than Mike Trout. Right. He was arguably the best hitter in baseball before the injury, and yeah. he was just a very good. He was like Jose Abreu after the injury. Yeah. Um, he's made a leap. I don't. Unless you think the wrist injury is going to linger, I don't think there's any reason to doubt it. Okay, then that's Freddie Freeman, and that's our show for today. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Fantasy Baseball today. Thanks for listening, everybody. For Scott, for Heath, for Chris, I'm Adam. See ya.